Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Hey Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, We start a new chapter today in a Bible study that I've entitled, A Man of the Book. Speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ, he is and was a man of the book. And we too are to be men and women of the book. Not just any book, but the book that we know as the Bible. Chapter 10 brings us to a new section in the book of Hebrews. As you'll remember, that the book of Hebrews is filled with warnings because it's written to a group of Jewish Christians that have embraced their Savior, their Messiah. They are following Him wholeheartedly. They have left the old system of religion behind and they fully embraced the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of all that they studied. But then they started hitting a roadblock. And they have lost everything for their faith in Jesus, lost their family, lost their possessions, lost their career, and they're wavering. And so Paul, he takes quill in hand and he writes them a letter, not only to theologically convince them and remind us, not just them then, but us now, of the theological implications. And remember, don't let that word theology uh, stumble you. It just simply means the study of God and that there is a substance behind the teachings in the Bible. So theologically, he's making a biblical case of why following Jesus is the right decision. And in this case, the backdrop is to leave the old covenant and embrace the new. But the truth is the same. It is worthwhile for you to place your lives and your entire being under the care of your Creator. It is worth your time and effort to repent of your sins, to turn your life away from your past and toward God, to, as we sing today, surrender your life, as we sing today, to submit your life to Him, to live your life not for your own desires and your own deal, which is going to pass. My pastor has told us many times, and I've shared it with you, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. Everything else isn't going to matter. You could have the biggest house. You can have the greatest car. You can have all the money you thought you needed. But it's not going to last. It will not go into eternity. And it will not save you. You cannot buy your salvation. Salvation is not a status symbol. It is a place of God changing you on the inside out. It's a position of your heart where you're born again. And there's no need to go and search anywhere else. You're to be a man or a woman of the book. Because you know the book, the Bible? The Bible is about God. I think many people get this wrong. The Bible is about God. Did you know the Bible is not about you? And a lot of people make mistakes where they read the Bible and they kind of make it about them. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about the church. The Bible is not about instruction and education. You can jot this down if you didn't already know. I'm going to let you in on a powerful truth. The Bible is about God. It's His book. And as you read it, He reveals it. You know, you would never know God unless He revealed Himself to you. You would never know who He is. You would never understand His character, His nature, His love, His grace, His mercy. Another thing you never understand is how much you need Him. 
had he not given you his word. And so the Bible is about God first and foremost. Then it's about you in your relationship to God. Then it's about the church. Then it's about life. But the Bible, unless you put God first, you'll never understand the Bible. You'll, you'll never grasp it. Just notice verse 7. We'll just jump ahead real quick. You, you could say in a deeper sense that the Bible is about Jesus on every page. Notice verse 7 of chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. In the volume of the book, it's about Jesus Christ. And today you are either in relationship with him or you are not. And it's our desire for you to recognize your need for Jesus Christ today and surrender your life. This book of Hebrews was written as a strong encouragement, but also to comfort the believers that they made the right decision. You made the right decision following Jesus Christ, church. I want you to know that. Today, right now, you made the right decision. It was true and right and good that you turned away from your sins and embraced Jesus as your Savior. It was the right decision. Turn around to somebody and tell them it was the right decision. Tell them. Just say it was the right decision. Yes, it was. Now, of course, if you turn to an unbeliever, you got to tell them, make the right decision. But you don't know, so we don't know. We don't know. We don't judge you either if you're here just checking things out and wondering about God. I walked into a church just like that myself. I was checking things out. The last place on the planet Earth that I wanted to be was in a church. That would have been the last thing on my list if it ever made the list of the places I would want to be. But because a friend invited me to check out his church... I took him up on the challenge to check that church out. And what happened was God checked me out and revealed his great love to me that God would forgive even someone as bad as me. And you know, God, he can forgive even someone as bad as you. He is ready and willing to forgive you of your sins today. When you choose Jesus, it's the right decision. And God is encouraging us through the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the end of all that you've been looking for. He is your sufficiency in life and in theology. In your search for God, you found him in Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes, let me just remind you that the book of Hebrews is filled with warnings. We remember there were five warnings that were given, that are given in the book of Hebrews. The first one was the warning against drifting from the word of God. We saw that in chapter one and chapter two. Don't drift away from the word of God. We also did a, a mini-series on backsliding in that season. We're in, our, I think, our 44th Bible study in the book of Hebrews. So you got to go back a few months to our time there. But it was warned, don't drift away from the word of God. Secondly, there was a warning against doubting the word of God. Chapters 3 and 4. Don't doubt the word of God. You can trust the word of God. You can trust the Bible. It is worthy of your trust. Thirdly, don't become dull, D-U-L-L. -L. Don't become dull toward the word of God. And that happens through repetition. That happens in a church like this where you're here week after week and it doesn't matter who's filling the pulpit, who's teaching, you will get taught the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And on top of that, you can tune into the radio and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Monday through Friday, you have the word of God taught to you most Sunday and on occasional a couple spots on Saturday. You can have the Bible constantly, constantly. And what happens when you constantly do something, it's easy to become dull. I'm just like, oh, whatever, another Bible study, another Bible study. Yes, another Bible study so that God might use it. You've got to be careful. Number four, there's the warning against despising God's word, which is where we're starting here in chapter 10. It's a whole new section. 
Don't despise the word of God. And then finally, the last warning we'll get to starting in chapter 12 is the warning against defying, going against word of, the word of God. And so it's really a call, the book of Hebrews, to hear and heed the word of God. So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 10. As it says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, mark those two words, mark the phrase the law, circle it, and then mark the phrase can never, circle it, put a little line next to it. This is an important truth. The law can never, never with these same sacrifices make the person that approaches perfect. This isn't new for us, it's a summary. The law, and again, if you already have, if you haven't already, next to the law you can write the old covenant, because that's what it means, it's synonymous. The old covenant or the old testament can never make someone perfect. The law can never make someone perfect. It doesn't change you, the law. You, you can't look to the law and say, this changes me. But we've learned that when we open the Bible, it doesn't change us. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant doesn't change us. It reveals to us our need for change. And, and that's what's happened. He says, look, the Old Covenant, what you left, can never make you perfect. And really what he's saying is, why would you go back to something that never will put you back on this cycle of never being perfect? And then he uses this amazing spiritually anointed logic in verse 2. He says, for then, they would have not, they, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. For worshipers, once purged, would have had no more consciousness of their sins. This is brilliant. Now, I know we don't have to say this about the Bible, but this is brilliant. This is simple logic. Think of it this way. Don't, doesn't, it, doesn't it frustrate you when you're talking to someone, maybe having a disagreement, but the other person doesn't use logic? Does that frustrate you? It's like you're all looking at me like, Ed, that's your problem, not my problem. But it's our problem. Doesn't that frustrate you, yes or no? Like you're talking to me like, what you're saying doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. And so Paul's like saying, what you guys are about to do doesn't even make sense. Why would you leave Jesus and go back to a system that never makes anyone perfect? And go, what do you mean it doesn't make anyone perfect? Well, just look at them. They sacrifice every year. If the sacrifice, here's the logic. If the sacrifices made a person perfect, then they wouldn't have to sacrifice anymore. Do you get it? It's that simple. So he's just, sometimes it's just the simple things that help us. Like, like the, the reality of, of humanistic evolution, you know, and, and the old theories of, you know, what man used to be a monkey. So simple logic. If monkeys become men, then why are there still monkeys? Oh, Ed, you need billions of, ah, whatever. No, it's not true. It's not logical. And so Paul, the Bible is filled with just simple logic because God is logical. He's a God of order, not chaos. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of wisdom. So he's simple, just simple stuff here. Verse three, for those sacrifices, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it's not possible. So you got it together, the old covenant, the sacrificial system, can never, is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's not possible. The blood of bulls and goats did not forgive the people of their sins. God forgave them of their sins. 
Living in the Old Testament times under the Old Covenant, the children of Israel only lived with shadows. Every animal that was sacrificed pointed to the coming Messiah. Every part of the incense, everything as we studied through the tabernacle, everything had meaning pointing to Jesus Christ. They lived by faith, trusting that God would one day, any day, fulfill all of the shadows with his promised Messiah. But the endless offerings of the law could never make a person right. If they could, then Paul says, then why don't they stop? And even as he's writing this, the system is ongoing. It's happening right there. They're still sacrificing animals. So why, why didn't they stop? Well, because they needed to continue until Messiah came. But he came. And because they didn't stop, you know, on that day of atonement, that one time of the year, not, not only did they sacrifice, but the high priest would remind the people verbally of their sins and transgressions. Remember, we've looked a lot at that scapegoat. But after the animal was sacrificed in the, high pre, in the Holy of Holies, on the mercy seat where the blood was spread, because the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant was what? A picture and type of Jesus, who is our mercy seat. He is our atonement. He is the one that forgives us. So after he'd come out with his hands bloody, he'd stick his bloody hands on that head of the goat, the scapegoat, and he would pronounce the sins one by one of the people over the people. And they'd have to hear again of their failures and their sins against a holy and a righteous God. Which reminds us, as you're out and about sharing the love of God with people and encouraging them and maybe even inviting them to a church service or telling them to listen to the radio and they don't, and they don't want to, and they're greatly resistant to you, one of the reasons is, is they don't want to hear about their sin. And that's normal. Who wants to hear about their sin? But the gathering of the saints like this today, like when we gather together to this building, one of the things that happens is we're reminded, well, first of all, we're reminded of God and his great love and goodness in our lives. But how can we think of God and not think about our own failures and the distance really between us and God? God is holy and we are not. And then let's say you failed this week. Let's say you failed many times. Let's say you had a big issue, big difficulty this week. You're reminded of that. Maybe you had some pain this week. Well, you're reminded of that. And you're reminded not only of your sin, but also the sin of this world and how upside down this world is and how much pain and sorrow and difficulty and suffering happens because of sin. And so people stay away from that. They don't want to hear about sin. But see, you need to hear about sin because when you think of God and you think of sin, your next thought is, well, what do I do about it? What do I do about my distance from God? And then you begin to think about, wonder what God thinks about my sin. And as the sacrificial system was ongoing for the children of Israel then, they were reminded of their sin every year at the bare minimum. But each time they'd bring an offering, they were reminded of their distance from God. They were reminded of their need for God. And you and I, we need to be reminded of our distance from God and our need from God and how he met that distance by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So now that you can draw near, you may still feel like you're distant, but you're not. That's just a feeling. Don't believe it. You're as close to Jesus Christ by faith as you ever will be. You won't get any closer. He loves you more today, or he loves you the same today than he would any other day. There is no measure of love for God. He loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. 
And so people stay away from a place like this. They stay away from Christian radio where there's teaching because they have to deal with these things. And it just seems for people that it's easier to not deal with these things, just to pretend it doesn't happen, to pretend I'm not that bad, just to pretend you live a life of pretend, you're going to have to face the judgment day. And that's not going to be pretend, it's real. And the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you is real, as we saw in our study last time. Pick up with me now in verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and notice in your Bibles it's capitalized. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, speaking of Jesus, he's quoting now from the Psalms, Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. To do your will, O God, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. In this, Jesus came, it says, here's the explanation. He takes away the first, which was the old covenant, that he might establish the second, the new covenant. You've entered into to the completion, Paul says. By that, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the final sacrifice of Jesus replaces all of the repetitive sacrifices. But I want you to notice the, what is being quoted here because it's, Jesus Christ coming is a fulfillment of prophecy. God predicted that he would come. From the shadows, God remind, now Paul reminds them of the substance that they find in Jesus Christ. That, that he has come in a body, it says in verse 10. A body. Jesus Christ came to earth in human flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came and took on a human body. This is known as the doctrine of the incarnation. God becoming human, a 100% God, 100% human. And the word of God foretold it and predicted it. Why would you leave the substance of God in human flesh is really the point that is being made here to go back to the shadows. But I want to spend some time here in verse 7 on the significance of this phrase. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, Jesus said. The volume of the book. Jesus was a man of the book. And the book is about Jesus. He was a man, about, he was a man of the book. Not many books, but the book. And by the time of this writing, this was the inspired scriptures of the Old Testament. What we know today is the Old Testament. Jesus was a man of the book. Turn over to 2 Timothy, would you please? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because of Jesus' commitment to the word of God, we are to be committed to the word of God. And as we study the volume, we need to look for Jesus on every page. And we need to be men and women of the book. And if you're new to Calvary, this is your first time here or this has been your home church for a long time, it's worth reminding you today that we are a church about the book, the Bible. That is it. That's the tool that we use here. 
And we have chosen to adopt the methodology with the Bible to teach it. Not to teach from it, not to teach about it, but to teach you the Bible, word for word, verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter. I didn't put them all in order, but you get it. Everything in the Bible, we're gonna teach you. And we're gonna teach it not only what it says, but what it means, and then what it means for you. It's the Bible. It's the Bible that you need. You don't need my opinions. You don't need my stories. You, don't, you need the Bible. And here, week after week, you're going to get the Bible. And you're going to get it, no matter, like I said, no matter who's filling the pulpit, you're going to get the Bible. Why? Because that's what you need. It may not always be what you want, but too bad. You're going to get it because you need it. We need the Bible. Some of you are real frustrated right now in your spiritual walk. You go, I'm just not growing. I'm just not, I don't find the kind of spiritual growth. I don't know. You might even have this attitude of, oh, you know, Christianity doesn't work for me. Or you might be listening on the radio, kind of going through, and you're like, well, you know, I tried Christianity, and it didn't work. Not true. Whatever you tried, it wasn't Christianity. Because Jesus never fails. And Christianity is a relationship with him. As you learn about him through his word, will not fail you. So I don't know what you tried, but it wasn't a relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me give you, I'm going to tell you guys, because, you know, you get frustrated. You get frustrated about your spiritual walk. You go, well, you know, I need a class. I need a teacher. And, you know, I'm telling you, this is more and more, more and more. Almost every week I get somebody emailing me, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I've been watching this YouTube video, and, and I want you to watch it and tell me if you like this guy. Don't send me those videos. I don't have time. I got one just this week. And, and in the question, the way that the person described the question, I could already tell, stop watching this guy. You already know the Holy Spirit's ringing alarms. But here's the thing. I've been around long enough. I've been here 20 years now. I've been around long enough where I have seen what the Bible says, that winds of doctrine flow through our city, flow through our church, flow through different people coming in with all kinds of weird stuff that they made up or now used to be found on Christian TV, but now it's on YouTube and this tube and that tube. And like, stop watching YouTube and read your Bible. That, that's really the ess essence of this. Now, of course, we're asking for audio and video servants because we also have things on YouTube, but you can, that's all right. All right. <laughs> we want good teaching out there, so there's good stuff. I'm not... But stop looking for something new and just read your Bible. You want to grow in the relationship? I'm going to give you a class. You go, Ed, I need a class. I need to watch a series of videos. Give me some MP3s. How can I grow? I'm going to give it to you right now. We got two classes we're going to do right now. Ready? Class number one. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, read your Bible. So here's the test. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, what do you need to do, class? A plus plus. You miss, you're going on to second class now. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, after you read your Bible, do it. So class, what do you need to do after you read your Bible? Do it. You've graduated. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Bible. Read it and do it. And the Lord will lead you. And I already can feel the resistance. Somebody saying, but Ed, there's so much in the Bible I don't understand. Here's an elective class, number three. 
When you come across something in the Bible you don't understand, write it down and set it aside, and then do what you do understand. Now, it's a little long to to give a, a pop quiz on that because it's a long answer, but don't let the things you don't understand stumble you because actually the things you do understand, you're not doing. And there's a lot in the Bible. That's why I dedicate my life to studying the Bible. I don't understand everything there is to understand in the Bible. I mean, if anybody does, then they would be God. So there's a lot for us to learn, but don't let that be a convenient excuse for you not to read your Bible and do it. And I I have to say, statistic after statistic after statistic tell us that less than 5%, I don't know what the number is, but it's one digit, less than 5% of people in their churches like this, evangelical churches, don't read their Bible. Now, I'm not saying that to bum you out or to bring conviction, but the Holy Spirit's saying, read my word. You will grow when you read the Bible. God will speak to you. He inspired the word. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, Paul's writing to young Pastor Timothy. And they'll be deceived and they'll deceive others. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. You, church, you, Ed, you, pastors and leaders, you must continue. And so our church is committed to continuing in the Word of God every time, all the time. Your kids downstairs, getting the Word of God. Your kids upstairs, getting the Word of God. Your kids in our academy, getting the Word of God. Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. We're committed to the Word of God, to read it and to do it. Because God takes His Word. It's the same as it been from the very beginning. In the very beginning, in the very beginning in Genesis, God said that's how it all started. God said, and that's all that really matters. We're committed to the word of God here. And I know things change over the years. I was thinking with Pastor Greg Laurie and how this is his 30th year of Harvest Crusades and it's just a glorious time. Thousands of people respond and lives are changed. And, and the fact that Marie and I, we, when we were new believers, we attended, I think, the second Harvest Crusade that was over at the Pacific Amphitheater, which is a much smaller venue. The music was different. The logos were different. The atmosphere was different. It was all, everybody was dressing different. But one thing stayed the same. Pastor Greg, anointed by God, preached the gospel and people got saved. And so then year two, year three, year five, now 30 years, it looks profoundly different than it did 30 years ago. The music is different, Uh, the way you dress is different, the lights, the LED lights are different, the venue's different. There's so many things that are different because methodologies have to change with the times. They have to change. But the message never changes. The message never changes. The Bible is very clear. Don't mess with the word. It says what it says and it means what it says. But how you deliver it, well, it has to change. You're seeing that transformation in our own church. We're, we're just, there's really a lot of superficial changes, but they're changes nonetheless. Little paint here, different signage, different, you know, a lot of things, different pulpit, lights, different stuff, all kinds of things. I mean, we've even got a lot of feedback on changing our name. We changed the name of our church. We changed the name of our church. We just added, you know what we added to our name? Church. And people are like, what happened? What are you doing? What, what happened? Well, we... We're getting phone calls a lot. Hey, we, people thought we were a wedding chapel. People thought we were a school. They had all kinds of views. And so back in the day, 
when we were Calvary Chapel, there had some meaning to that. But chapel doesn't have all that much meaning when it relates to Jesus. So we just wanted people to know that big brown box on the corner of Hampton and Biscay, yes, <laughs> is a church. But we're still teaching the Bible, verse by verse. It's still taking me forever to get through a book of the Bible. I still love you. More passionate for the gospel now than I ever have been in my life. Committed to seeing lives changed. Self-sacrificial as well as the team of leaders and servants here and staff here to see you grow in your faith and to equip you. The methods have to change. We're going to have to pull the carpet. We're going to have to paint the walls. They have to change. But the message never changes. Never. If you walked into this church on December 26, 1999, which actually was over at the school behind us, sitting in these chairs over here, you would have heard a Bible study. We would have sang together. We would have worshiped together, studied the Bible, and set up and take down that school is what we did back then. And now here we are 20 years later. We're doing it a little differently, but we're still singing together still studying the Bible together, and still passionate about reaching the city for the gospel with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the temptation. The temptation is, is that you don't stay firm in how you started. That's how you don't run the race. That's how you don't finish the race. You get off course. You got to stay on the track. And like Paul tells you on Timothy, you must continue. You must continue in the things that you've learned. You don't have a choice. I mean, you do have a choice. Uh, it's not like that's been taken away from you. But if you don't continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, then you're going to get ripped off. And you're going to get some wind of doctrine, some weird thing, that you're going to be more into your weird thing than you're into the Lord. And that's not good. You might even get ripped off with some seriously false teaching, worshiping a false Messiah, worshiping a false God, and that's not going to end well. Now notice... Notice, as it says in verse 7, in the volume of the book it is written of me. In the volume, the whole book, the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. I believe today in the year 2019, this is a word from God for our church, that it doesn't matter what new fad is coming in the church, what new trend is coming, it, whatever wind of doctrines flowing through the broader church, the Holy Scriptures are able, notice, to make you wise. He says, and in, in continue in 2 Timothy, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in which is in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes you a wise person. It's able to make you wise. And we're committed to the Bible here. That's what you'll get. You, you could leave for five years and come back and you're still going to, we'll probably still be in Hebrews, but you're still going to get the Bible. We're not going to veer from it. It's, you just need to hear it. We're not going to veer from it as an example for you not to veer from it. That if you're ever tempted to go here and you're ever tempted to go there, you're going to pick up this little teaching over here. Don't do it. You know, Pastor Michael downstairs, and maybe you learned this song, but Pastor Michael's teaching the kiddos that song that goes the B-I-B-L-E. You guys know that song? So if you know that song, Pastor Ian's having a hard time with his voice today. I'm going to lead you in worship today. What are you guys saying no for? <laughs> I'm going to lead you in worship. So if you know this song, I want you to join in and we're going to sing it together because the kiddos are going to learn it. And if you don't know it, I'm going to teach it to you right now. Okay, you ready? The B-I-B-L-E, 
That's the book for me. I stand alone on the of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Okay, let's do it again because like of all the services, you guys. Let's do it again. Sing it. Like people are listening and watching right now. They, they think three people are here. So let's, you guys ready? The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. That's it. That's our church. Simple as that. And you just need to know that. I know it's not always the exciting, and I know it's not always the thrill, and I know it's not always trending, whatever new movies out there or whatever, but you don't need that. You need the Word of God taught through a gifted person that will go right to the heart of your life. That's what your kids need. That's what your grandkids need. And that's what this little church on the corner is committed to. And we will continue in it. Because notice the Bible is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine means uh, giving you the teachings of, of the truth about God. It's also profitable, notice, for reproof, teaching us what's wrong. But it's also profitable for correction, teaching us how to correct what's wrong and make it right. And then finally notice it is profitable for instruction so we can learn how to live and maintain what's right. It's thoroughly equipping you for every good work. It's thoroughly equipping you for every good work. And it's all valuable from Genesis to Revelation. You know how sometimes people will say, well, you know, that's just a book written by man. Anybody ever hear that? You want to give, maybe you want to give somebody a Bible. And by the way, there are Bibles in the back of the chairs there. If you ever want to give someone a Bible, take one from the back of the chair. That's why they're there. We invest thousands of dollars in Bibles every year. Take it and give it away. And if you're going to give it to a new believer, take, we, we're all, we're moving, uh, uh, we have the New King James in there, but we're also using the New Living Translation on Wednesday nights. That's the New Living Translation is one of those Bibles in the back of the chair. Give it away. Give it away. It's yours. Go ahead and give it away. Take one and give it away. If you're going to give it away, take one of the newer ones, not the beat up ones. Just give it to them. And, and, I, and as you do, most likely you'll hear somebody say, oh, I don't got to read the Bible. I don't want the Bible because man wrote it. And then that kind of stumbles you. You're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. So let me help you with the answer. If somebody ever tells you that the Bible was written by man, you tell them, that's right. Like, Whoa, wait a minute, Ed. What are you saying? I'm saying exactly what the Bible says. The Bible was written by men. God used men to write down the Bible. Yes. Now, I know in their mind, they have this picture of like a campfire, right? And Abraham's there, and Moses is there, and Paul's there. They're all together. Hey, Mo, what do you want in the Bible? I don't know. Make me sound good. You know, that, that's obviously not what happened because the Bible is divine in origin. It was written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years. It wasn't this little campfire thing. Divine in origin, even though God used the pen and the mind of men. So yes, man did write down, but as we learn here, it was inspired of God. As we'll see in a moment, the Holy Spirit testified through the Bible. It was inspired by God. Do you know that God is still inspiring Christians to write things today? Not to, not to add to the Bible. The Bible is done. It is done, complete. Nobody adds to the Bible. Nobody takes away from the Bible. God is already done with that. But he still inspires people today to write things. Like, like the inspiration in your heart to reach out to someone. Where do you think that came from? 
You know, the text message that you send, you, you know, you just drive. And you ever drive down the road and some, somebody just popped into your mind? Anybody have that happen? You're, just, you're not even thinking about them. You're going, you're thinking about Chipotle. Should I have hot sauce or the green sauce? And then all of a sudden, boom, somebody said, I haven't heard from them in a while. And you reach out to them. Where do you think that thought came from? It didn't come from the marketers at Chipotle. I could tell you that. It came from the Holy Spirit inside of you. You care for people because God's inside of you. You go, well, no, Ed, that thought came because I was thinking of that person the other day. and it was like, You take too much credit. God's inside of you. And he wants to use you to send that text message. I mean, with technology today, you can do text messaging, email, you can call them, you can, I mean, they're just, you can FaceTime. There's so much technology out there. Just do it. God is still inspiring his people today. The Bible, this word in 2 Timothy about inspiration means God breathed. And while God is not writing anymore and adding to the Bible at all, the faith has been once delivered for the, to the saints. He is still using his church to be an impact on the world today. And he, and he is using you to write an encouraging note or to send a gift or whatever it might be. Notice as we close now, it says, verse 11, every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he was perfected forever, those who were being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses. Notice, the Holy Spirit's witnessing through what? The book of Jeremiah. Because that's what this quotation is in verse 16. The Holy Spirit was inspiring Jeremiah when he was writing this down. This is the covenant I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I'll write them. And then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Again, basic theology. Jesus Christ died once. He's not being crucified multiple times. And through that one-time crucifixion and his ascension into heaven, it's proof positive that God kept his word that God would do a work now inside once and for all in your life and in mine. This one offering, verse 14, we've been perfected. That God has done that work inside of you to save you and forgive you. And now we have that expectation of Jesus Christ to return for his perfect kingdom. And the Holy Spirit's involved in the inspiration of the Old and the New Testament. Can I leave you with this thought? Would you go back up in verse 5? which is a startling thing that the psalmist says. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Now the application of this, of course, is that the coming of Messiah was to sacrifice himself. But if you step back here, this is a pretty startling thing. God is saying through the psalmist, I don't want your sacrifices. God is saying through the, through the psalmist here, I take no pleasure in all of your religious activity, which makes us pause for a second. Because isn't, it, isn't our worship, doesn't our worship of God bring pleasure to us? I mean, isn't it so encouraging to us? What does he mean here? Well, I think that what he's trying to show us, God, what he's trying to reveal to us is that your outward expression of religion doesn't please God. It doesn't save you. So you being in church today 
Torah, it doesn't matter whether you're here or not. It doesn't, it's not that, it's not that you being here is the real issue. The real issue is if you want to be here, <laughs> it's your heart, it's your motivation. So, well, Ed, you know, uh, I'm in church every single week. Yeah, but you only want to be here once a year. So what does that measure up to God? God says, I don't want you in church. That's not my desire. You go come and you are a faithful giver. You're a faithful giver. You put an offering in one of the boxes you set up online and you give. And I'm saying to you right now, God's not pleased with your giving. What? How could you say that, pastor? God's not pleased. It's, it's say you're giving. So you gave. You wrote a check. Great. God doesn't want your giving. You go, Ed, how can you possibly say, is that a pastor on the stage saying I don't... Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That God's not impressed by your church attendance. He's not impressed by your giving, your good deeds. Which leads us to the question, well, what does God want? (laughs) What does God want? Which is a great question. And let me just say, God wants you. God wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you. Because when he has you, then you're here. When he has you, then you give. When he has you, you do so in such a way to honor and please him, not just outwardly to try to cover up a life that's not in relationship with him. God wants you. He sent his son Jesus Christ for you. He's not interested in all these outward things. The closest thing that I can think of is in the closest relationships that I have, like my relationship with my wife, my children, the team that I get to serve with, my church. You know, just recently I was thinking as a dad, of some ways that I could bless my kids. And, I, and then it shocked me last night as I was sharing it that my kids were probably listening, so now it's not a surprise. But I was just thinking of these ways to bless them. They don't know what they are, and I'm not going to say what they are, but I was really, I've been thinking a lot. I, maybe I can do this, and what about this? And I've been praying about a few things just to bless them. I, I'm doing that. Not, I don't want anything back from them. I'm not doing it. Maybe it's even with the team here. They do a, a hard, you know, they, they, a season of hard work here. And maybe I'm thinking of a gift card or something I can do just to acknowledge that and thank them. I don't want anything back. That's not, that's not, I'm not saying, well, if I give you this, then you give me. No, I just want to bless and honor them. I don't want, I'm not doing something for them so that, so that they can do something greater for me. I'm doing something for them because I love them. And that's it. And any response that comes back from them would then be also a response of love. Anything else really doesn't matter. Well, you know, I give a $25 gift card and then the next week there's a $30 gift card on my desk. A little bit more. No, no, no. I don't, don't do that. But rather, let's cultivate our love relationship. My kids, like, what could they give back to me? Everything they have, I gave to them. So what are they going to give back to me? Every time my kids move out, I tell them, you're taking nothing with you, man. It's all mine. <laughs> now that I've raised my kids into adulthood, it doesn't work. But I thought it did. <laughs> but really, isn't that how you want to live your life? Don't you want love relationships? Aren't the sweetest relationships you have ones of mutual love? and care and self-sacrificial. It's not you do, I do, and it's not I'm going to try to top you, and it's not, it's just, isn't it neat just sometimes to think, man, I wonder how I can bless somebody. I wonder how I can help somebody. I'm not asking for anything in return. I'm not asking for, for anyone to do anything for me. 
I'm just responding out of love to something that happened or some inspiration that came. That's how God is. He's not demanding that you worship him, but you love him, so you worship him. He's not, he doesn't have his hand in your back pocket trying to take all your money. You just recognize, man, I love God of all that he's, everything I have, he's given to me. And so I obey him by giving back. Because what? I read my Bible and I do it. Not because I have to. I don't have to. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. That may be startling for you, but it shouldn't be. You get to learn about God. He's revealed himself to you. He's opened up the floodgates, as we'll see in a moment, to enter in right into the Holy of Holies, the depth of your relationship. And he wants a love relationship. But there's a lot of flesh and humanity in us that need to be taken away. We need to be reminded of dying to ourselves and living to God. You know, I was recently teaching at a conference, and the conference was, the, the theme of the conference was revival and the church and the Holy Spirit, but they didn't give us a specific text, which I always love that because this time I took five different studies with me praying about like which one. I, I, I just felt like the Lord was saying by the, by the mid-Saturday, it was a, or mid-Friday, it was a Friday-Saturday conference last week, by mid-Friday you'll know which one to teach. And so I took a bunch of great messages on revival. I got one in Nehemiah. I have one on Haggai. There was another one that I had. It was just Ezra. It was just great revival. Yes, let's all revival. But I also took one that I entitled Revival Through Pain. And I just put it in my folder. I asked Cassandra to put that in my folder, and she did. And I took it. And by the first study on Friday morning, I taught Saturday morning. By the first study on Friday morning, I knew which one. The Lord made it clear. Ed, you're going to teach on pain. Now, you've got to understand, the whole conference is all revival, yay, yay, revival. And then there's Ed talking about pain. <laughs> Not popular. And I believe me, I would have rather delivered the Nehemiah message or the Ezra message. It was been good. I could, man, we'd go, let's go, let's go get the world. And even later on Friday, I met a family um, just greeting like you guys do. I met a family for the first time that experienced great tragedy, which the Lord said, that's why there's a lot of people like them sitting in these chairs, and this is what I want you to share. Like, okay. But you know as well as I do that when there's a word from God and then there's time before that's required to, to be done, like so God says to do X, but it's gonna, you got 10 hours to think about it and sleep on it, that somehow you change your mind while you're sleeping. And so I, God was showing me something about my life. God was showing me something because, you know, six years ago when my son passed away, a lot of these things that I was wrestling with the flesh just kind of went dormant, which I thought maybe they went away completely. Like, like they just went dormant. And, and, I, and one of them that I, I saw just disappear was this fear of man. You know, pastors deal with the fear of man. When you pray for pastors, they deal a lot with insecurity and, and with the fear of man. And fear of man, a part of that is what I deal with and I have dealt with. And so I, I thought it had gone away for years. And, and really the fear of man is thinking, you know, worrying about what people think about you, what people say about you. And then after that, I'm like, oh man, people can say, do whatever they want to do. And I thought, and I thought, man, maybe God's delivered me from this nonsense because it's a good way to live, freedom, you know, just, just care what God thinks. That's a great way to live. And then at this conference, after I had already, God had already spoken and God had already given me that insight, I got this little thought for a short amount of time. Maybe you shouldn't teach that. What will they think? 
And I'm like, no, no, the Lord. And then it came back a second time. And what would they think? And it didn't last very long. And I shook it off. They're like, no, I don't care. It doesn't matter what they think. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And God, I did deliver that message, and the Lord used it and ministered in a mighty way. And there were more. But I, 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 was, I felt led to ask people that were in pain to stand up. Half the room stood up and responded. So that message was for a lot of people sitting there. So God was right in every way, which is kind of an understatement, isn't it? But the, but the Lord was showing me, Ed, there's still a lot of flesh in you that needs to die. And I wonder what God's trying to show you. Because you can do something spiritual and still be fleshly. Where God's wanting to develop you into being that man or woman, and especially as our context of the text here. It's not that God desires your giving, your sacrifices, your church attendance, your Bible reading. That's not what he desires in. He desires in you. That's the reason. So surrender yourself to him. Desire yourself in him as he desires himself in you. Like, grow in your grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and step out in faith and allow God to love you and respond in love, receiving all that he has for you. And yeah, there's still flesh in you. I don't know what God wants to reveal in your life, but when he does, lay it on the altar. You're a living sacrifice. Lay it on the altar and be obedient, and God will honor that. So Father, thank you for the privilege of this text. You are a man of the word, and we want to be men and women of the word. We don't want to think that our activity and our production is what pleases you. You desire us, and you're pleased with us, the person, not what we do, but who we are. So may you have your way with us. Thank you for even as as my life might be on display, Lord, and I have to deal with my own flesh and worry about what people think or what people say instead of worrying about, and I don't need to worry about, just being concerned about what you say and obeying you no matter what, that you will be honored through the obedient life, the surrendered life, the abiding life, where we go and we don't want anything in return. We just want to bless and serve and care. And may you multiply that in our little church family, that we be a people that bless, care, and serve our community. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.